Welcome to Episode Party, the podcast where we talk about our favourite podcasts. I'm Jack Tudor. I'm Freddie Harrison. And our guest this time is audio documentary maker Belinda Lopez. Belinda, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So we're going to start with Freddie's recommendation this time. Freddie, if you'd like to dive in, tell us what podcast you brought. Yeah, so I've brought a podcast along called 50 Things That Made the Modern Economy, um, which is also the name of a book by the same guy that presents the podcast, uh, Tim Harford, who's a journalist uh, who does a lot of stuff for the Financial Times, and he's written lots of books on economics and all that kind of stuff. Um, And the reason I like this podcast there's plenty of reasons why I like this podcast, but the first one that immediately has always stuck out to me is that it wraps itself up in about 10 minutes flat, which is um, which is perfect for my kind of lizard brain that can't always concentrate <laughs> on things. And if I'm if I'm having one of those days when I'm, I'm rushing out the door and going to work and I just want to listen to something and I want to feel that kind of sense of completion that you get and that sense of kind of achievement or, you know, sense of like learning something new you get from from listening to something um but i'm i'm running late and my my head's all over the place this is this is a lovely thing to listen to and i think that over the course of the 50 episodes i think spoiler there's more than 50 actually because there says there's a 51st thing but well never mind about that there's kind of got the format down of 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 telling a kind of neat little uh vignette about an object or an idea or a kind of a philosophy or or something that has kind of made the world the way it is and i think tim harford as well does this uh, brilliant job of um of humanizing it because behind everything is a person right some someone had to be involved to make the thing happen uh whether that's lots of people or a single person so the the episode i chose uh was uh, about the billy bookcase and about how that came to be um and the other thing i really really like um about uh, the podcast, it, it's despite kind of getting all that kind of stuff in in under ten minutes, uh, Tim Harford kind of always tries to kind of talk about any unexpected or unintended consequences this thing has uh, or, or just tries to look at it in a, a kind of novel way so he actually the, the, we start this episode uh, with Tim talking well t- talking about a guy who hates the Billy bookcase and it just transpires that this guy uh, has a business where he makes people's flat pack furniture for them which baffles me but that's okay um, <laughs> and, uh, and he I wouldn't just mind says, that service <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, that's I, I, to be, yeah. To be honest, I moved into a new flat recently, and yeah, uh, towards the end, I was thinking about that service, <laughs> and uh, and he just says it's just so boring to make because he makes so many of them and they're so easy to make. Um, and I, I, I thought that was like a really nice ending. Jack, what did you think? Yeah, I really like this podcast, and I can't think of another BBC podcast that justifies itself as well as a podcast. I mean, they do a lot of programmes, but this one feels like it exists to be a podcast. And 
in creating like this big archive of 50 or 51 things or whatever you you end up with this like crate full of of audio that you can just rummage through and then listen to like in any order you please and as you say they're over really quickly it's a really pleasant experience actually just having a good rummage through and seeing what takes your interest and i think what's really nice is that they haven't opted for the obvious choices so i don't think i think i've read this right there's not an episode about the computer which feels like an obvious choice, but there is one about the compiler, so which you know ensures yes. that computer programs uh, run much quicker. So I like that they've gone for the sort of non-obvious choices, and they're shedding a light on those like unseen factors that just exist in the background. Um, the episode you picked was Wicked, because again, it's another example of where they could have just said flat pack furniture, but they've gone for the Billy book- bookcase. And um, that human quality, as you say, is really nice as well. I mean, if you were doing something which was like an encyclopedic um, you know, representation of each item, you wouldn't start this one with, you know, the sentence, Denver Thornton hates the Billy bookcase. But instantly you're like, you know, it, it's, it's a really nice way to kick it off, because instantly you're like, well, who could hate a bookcase? What is this about? So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I really like how streamlined it is. Like, it's just Tim's voice and then some, like, bit of music. And that's it. And that's all there is to it. And, you know, even when he's doing interviews, like, he's saying the interviews himself. So it's got this, like, audiobook quality to it, which I think almost gives it this therapeutic edge. It's very relaxing to listen to. So, and he's very typically BBC as well. He's, like, friendly and direct and, um, you know, has an accent a bit like mine. And... Yeah, I really like it. So, yeah, top marks, Freds. Nice to draw this one to our attention. Um, Belinda, what do you make of this podcast? I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the episode. Uh, I hadn't heard of the podcast before. Actually, I hadn't listened to it at all. But it struck me as sort of delightfully old school in a way. Like the old school radio essay. This really Mm -hmm. um, classic format that, like, yeah, talking about IKEA manages to sort of flat pack a lot of information in there. And I think it is because you have that singular voice that uh, captures your attention. There's not too much going on. It's just like listening to this thoughtful monologue. You know, it, 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 I found it interesting that uh, the guy they quoted, Denver Thornton, who hates uh, the Billy bookcase, wasn't quoted. You know, they didn't try yeah. to seek out his voice or add other voices. And, and maybe it reminds us that, you don't have to do too much. It's okay just to leave things simple, which I, which seems to be a bit of a theme in uh, the other podcast you suggested as well, Jack. So mm. yeah, I'd be interested to discuss that a bit more. But yeah, I know I really liked it, and if, and um, just finding out about IkeaHackers.net was very exciting. I <laughs> oh, went yeah. and was stalking <laughs> that website afterwards, and they have floating billies where they take the Billy bookcase and kind of suspend them on walls. So um, very inspiring in a design and radio uh, way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel that's it. Belinda, you, you make a really good point, which is that it kind of strips away a lot of what we know to kind of be like modern radio or podcast production where there's not lots of voices and not lots of incidental sound. And I think, I think, 
to me, the reason that seems to work so well is because it's so short. Like, I think if this was just 30 minutes of Tim telling me something, I might get a bit bored listening to one Mm -hmm. voice. But I think where it's just 10 minutes, it like, it it almost makes it even easier to digest just hearing one person. But yeah, I think, I think it's, it's so hinges on, on that kind of timing. And you're you're right. It's, it's, it's such a kind of like, it does feel very old school radio essay. And yeah, there's something I really, I really like about that. And Jack, like you say, it's, um, it's something about it that feels uh, very BBC in that sense. Yeah, it does feel very BBC. Um, I kind of like that. They've got a signature which I do find um, feels a bit like a home comfort. And, you know, they don't, <laughs> they don't really go beyond that at all. But what I think they've done with this one is really just push that to its limits in a really nice way i mean I, I see that this is something as well that's broadcast i think on bbc radio 4 at like 10 to the hour and it's that perfect thing like just before the news bulletin like just before shit gets real um learn about the billy bookcase i'll tell you a little bit mm-hmm. about yeah, something here's else. a little vignette <laughs> just before yeah. you hear about how dire the world is <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> let us learn so you, you can get the other end of the bulletin and be like yeah but the billy bookcase so you know it's not all yeah. bad <laughs> that's right that's right and it reminds us to sort of trust the listener i think that we don't you know we in so many other media environments we live in this like fast-paced over consuming kind of there's so many genres like that to just trust that we don't need to be overstimulated and we still have basic listening skills uh is very (laughs) trusting of them and i I really enjoyed that yeah i mean where where do podcasts fit into your life belinda in terms of like this isn't one that really slots in nicely if you've got you know not a lot of time to listen to podcasts you can just pop one in on a a brief walk or whatever but i mean where does your podcast listening take place uh it happens a lot walking definitely walking and cooking but i i'm also a binger so i'll go through uh stages often when i'm not making radio i tend to listen a lot more when i'm making radio i'm just too consumed in my own stories and and it (laughs) tends to crowd out other makers so at the moment um i'm not working on a particular show so it's been nice to dive back in and actually yeah do listening i'll listen in bed before i'm going to sleep but i try not to do that because then i feel i only listen to half of most episodes i just yes. conk out before <laughs> i get to the the key narrative part but um yeah yeah how about yourselves when do you listen oh uh, for me <laughs> i haven't brought it up in a while fred so it's fine i listen <laughs> when i'm driving um i have like a two-hour commute um three times a week and so i can crack on some podcasts then What's really good about that is that I don't know that I would necessarily listen or fully invest in those long two-hour podcasts if I didn't have the time to just have them on for, like, huge chunks of time. Um, Mm. So during my work days, I end up doing, like, about two hours in the morning and then... Uh, about an hour for lunch and then two hours on the way home so it's a podcast frenzy you know that's a part-time gig in itself but um yeah so that that tends to be my primary format and f- for you freddie what's it i mean cooking and domestic I, chores yeah. they're your favorite domains, Delinda, i'm aren't totally they? with you on 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 walking and cooking walking and cooking <laughs> are my favorite times to listen especially cooking and uh yeah i i i've got like a half hour walk to my office from here so uh there's a lot of a lot of listening happens then but yeah cooking is is a 
real nice time to do it actually because um you can kind of lend it most of your attention um providing mm. whatever you're cooking isn't too difficult or you're not using sharp knives well yeah um, or you have a lack of cooking skills like me or me yeah exactly <laughs> i don't listen when i cook because otherwise i god knows what i'd end up with but it wouldn't be edible so <laughs> silence in the kitchen oh dear <laughs> jack tell us about your recommendation sure so it's a piece of work which is uh, described as everything you wanted to know about modern and contemporary art, but we're afraid to ask. And there's often the sense, I think, that contemporary art is this inaccessible, like, ultra-stuffy world, and if you don't understand it, you never will. And if you try to ask questions to try and understand it, you're just going to embarrass yourself, so don't bother. Um, so this podcast is like a bridge into that world. And um, it's hosted by Abby Jacobson, who's probably best known for creating and starring in the comedy series Broad City. And yeah, like I say, it's basically a safe entry point into contemporary art uh, and has this really nice balance between, you know, dismantles the assumption that it's this big, impenetrably, like, academic thing. But um, also it's kind of vouching for the art as well. It's saying, hey, you know what? This isn't, like, crazy and difficult to understand, but also it is awesome, so, you know, you can enjoy it as well. There is this thing where... um, like I say, people think that, you know, art's bullshit. So you've got stuff like, um, you know, Tracy Emin's Messy Bed, was that mm. her? And, you know, Marcel Duchamp's Mm-mm. Ready Maids and stuff like that. And so, yeah, like I say, this is like, give it a chance. And in this case, um, I picked an episode on minimalism called Minimalism to the Max. And it's uh, an episode that's just all about the uh, minimalism movement uh, with respect to visual art. It features an interview with um, the artist Joe Bear, whose paintings were associated with the minimalist movement. And I think what's really cool about this episode is that I think the immediate assumption with stuff like minimalism is that it can be very faceless, it can be very clinical. um, And they bring in this artist who is absolutely not that um, who they describe as a badass um, and also whose work is very much imbued with the politics of the time and our current time I guess as well and so yeah I think Abby makes it a very accessible subject and uh, also as well she brings in, I can't remember if she did during this one, I think she brings in a curator, but often she'll bring in, like, comedians and people like that to basically go around the museum, kind of mock the art a little bit, but also go, hey, I kind of get into this, and, and you know, so, yeah, I, I really like the balance that it's holding here, which is, it, it is this um, kind of big, unknowable world, but there's a lot to gather and a lot to absorb within that world, and in fact, that this layer of pretense that sometimes feels like it exists there, it doesn't have to. And I don't think it feels patronising as well. I think that's an important thing. I, I, I feel like it feels like a podcast that's bringing it down to a, a level which feels very accessible, but without condescending me or, or you know, treating me like an absolute schmuck. So yeah, I really like it. Um, I'd love to know what you guys think. Uh, Belinda, what do you make of it? I liked uh, all the swearing. <laughs> I found that very refreshing. Lots of lots of uh, lovely little f's in there, and um, yeah, it just—I mean—it doesn't often pair with art. So, and and I I agree, it was uh, n- not too highbrow and not too lowbrow mm. either. It didn't kind of say, you know, it wasn't kind of art, eh? What a what a waste of time. It was intrigued, but it wasn't kind of assuming a whole lot of knowledge about it either. Yeah. But when I was listening, um, I was really thinking a lot about the theme of minimalism and I guess you know if we're talking about art and 
podcasts and radio making as a type of art. It made me think a lot about the kinds of radio we can make and the understated ways we can tell stories. I mean, even just like the the podcast we discussed before, the idea of just the radio essay being enough. Um, I think in this age of podcasting becoming really popular and even before that with documentaries there's a there can be a tendency to over speak with sound you mm. know the 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 crow cries <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> and that kind of matching sound for story um just to let sound beds and other minimalist forms of storytelling do their own work i think like sometimes you can be listening to something or enjoying art or anything and it has a real visceral effect on you and it's it's because it's done it in this most a really subtle way where your brain has had to do a bit of the work so it yeah Mm. i mean everything leads back to radio for me but this episode made me think about my own process and the the work of the people that i really like yeah that's all i think that's a really good point i i think and that's the thing as well, where minimalism gets this rap for maybe being a quite dispassionate thing, it's almost like, and I think it applies to radio as well, people maybe worry sometimes that if you strip it right down, you're reducing the humanity of what you're putting forward, but actually you're mm. building a basis for that interaction with like the listener, so that the listener has to step forward into what you're doing and then make sense of it and bring their own interpretation. And yeah, that's, that's a nice way of framing it. Freddie, what do you make of it? Yeah, I I should just say on that before I kind of give my thoughts on on the episode, but if you want a really good example of that, it's one I heard the other day, I was listening to 99% Invisible, and the most uh, recent episode was a a quite a short interview, but afterwards they trailed uh, a new Radiotopia podcast by the the makers of Criminal called Love, Um, and if you find the the trailer for Love, um, I'm sure it's either on Criminal's feed or on 99% Invisible, or you can just Google it, the trailer for that is like that what we just spoke about this kind of idea of minimalism and kind of uh storytelling it's like very best it's just it's it's there's about three voices and then there's just this wonderful bed underneath and that like the tension it builds and it makes you feel disgusting and then it like brings it all back around again honestly there's it's i don't want to i don't want to give it away i don't want to explain what happens because it, it, it i want you to feel it for um, the first time but like uh, threads. yeah uh, I, I, I. <laughs> yeah it's like a bonus little mini recommend there in this episode uh yeah go go find that uh trailer for love uh by the makers of criminal on radiotopia and and uh you'll you'll see what i mean but it's it's a wonderful example of that um but yeah going back to a piece of work i i really love this belinda i'm glad you picked out the profanity because i i also really yeah. enjoyed the profanity in this um just because yeah you like you say it, it was it was super refreshing and it wasn't ridiculous and it was just it was just a nice human way to talk about something you maybe don't always understand or are struggling to understand i really really enjoyed that i having like i have a background of working in like an art school so i i know exactly how highbrow and ridiculous i didn't know this well, um, the, the arts university. The arts university. Oh, I sorry. For university, <laughs> the arts university. I've been meant as a student. Um, right, I'm with you. <laughs> but uh, so I know how uh, inaccessible uh, art can be, and, and surprisingly, modern art, it, it, despite its kind of you know visual simplicity, uh, usually produces some of the most kind of uh, stuffy and highbrow artists who are the ones that make out that you'll never get their work, which I've always find really funny. So mm. I love the 
that this podcast kind of gets to the heart of uh, of of what that work means, even if it is just what it means to one or two people. I really, really, really enjoyed that. And um, a mark of a good recommendation on Episode Party is that I go off and do a bit of kind of extra listening. And this was one of those podcasts where I started to dig around and find more episodes. I think uh, yes. Abby Jacobson's kind of comedy background, I think, really lends itself well to her as a, as a host um, because she is, you know, naturally very funny, but also just very personable and, and likable and, uh, you know, is able to kind of look at things in a, in, a, in a slightly different way that perhaps if this was presented by someone with a kind of an art history background couldn't possibly do, I don't think. And yeah, like you say, I, I like that obviously with this one, uh, the, the focus was very much on artists and curators as, as the kind of other voices within the episode. But there there are other episodes, like I started listening to one uh, with uh, the musician Questlove, which is which is awesome. I really enjoyed that as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think all around Jack an awesome recommendation yes she does she does speak with like a snarl almost doesn't she it's like let's go get some art like she's really yeah. there's a bit of grit get there. it in ya. yeah yeah <laughs> I, and i think it's like when she talks to curators as well i think that's almost like a risky move because i'm sure those curators are very capable about having conversations where you'd understand maybe 20 percent of the words that they say and yet she manages to keep those conversations on the rails of the podcast um, and allows them to sort of uh, gush about how much they enjoy the art, but never like lets them get into this sort of spiral of you know artistic references and you know our, our artsy lexicon and and all of this. It all. You know, and I, I, I enjoy art a lot. Visual art, I'd say, most of the time, still baffles me quite a bit. And you know, I never lose interest in this. You know, when she gets deep into those conversations with curators, which admittedly are only like two to three minutes long, generally one at a time, and so you don't get that deep in. But I'm transfixed the whole time, which is great. I think that's a mark mm. of a really good host and a good interviewer that she's always pulling it back. And there's always these little jokes as well that are like, by the way, we're still two human beings. We're not two art historians. Yeah, a good host or a really good editor. I was yes, wondering that's true, that actually. whether I mean because it's so hard to control experts on your own terms, <laughs> you know, in a podcast when you want to have a certain comedic tone and people are getting serious about their their work or their knowledge. I wonder if she lets them talk it out and says, "Right, <laughs> let's return to humanness," because some people just need to talk it out. Yes, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> have you had your own experience of that in creating radio, Belinda? Oh, every, every time, every time. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I tend to I tend to do really long interviews. I find rather than trying to get people to speak succinctly or to tell their story quickly, usually people do need to go round in a few circles before they get to what they actually need to say. Mm. They may not even realise it yet. So yeah, I, I definitely let them talk it out. So you get like the audio you're after at like what, like forty minutes in or something like that. 40 minutes oh four hours <laughs> 40 oh, minutes we're just still doing the int- introductions and the tea <laughs> God, we're such amateurs fred i thought 40 minutes was a long interview how foolish <laughs> I've got much it's much more efficient it's much more efficient doing it the way you're doing it. don't change <laughs> well we're going to move now to our last 
recommendation. Well, it, it's sort of a recommendation. It's it's more than that, really. I mean, it's uh, something that a I think... A celebration. A celebration. Thank you. Yeah, Belinda, if you'd like to take the lead on this one and tell us what we're going to be talking about here. Well, we're going to be celebrating, talking about the work of uh, Jesse Cox, who was my friend and colleague and uh, an incredibly respected member of the storytelling and audio community in Australia and also internationally. And a lot of people... Um, Um, found it hard to believe he passed away in December and he was only 31 Um, he had a really rare cancer uh, that he was diagnosed with uh, two years ago it was an incredibly rare uh, soft part sarcoma and uh, his death was unexpected and it devastated yeah all his friends and family but also uh, the radio community worldwide I think who just thought he had so much more to give he'd already done so much in 31 years Um, he was such a brilliant storyteller in his own right but also a wonderful motivator and uh, builder of communities and things so yes we miss him very much Uh, I think we always will and Mm. we're going to talk about a few of his stories and I guess we can start with the the recommendation that I've given uh, that I've asked you guys to listen to which is The Real Tom Banks it's from a podcast called Radio Tonic which actually isn't around anymore Jesse was the host of Radio Tonic but um, he decided to change the show into This Is About uh, which I ended up working with him on uh, last year and the year before. And that's a bit of an interesting story as well. Uh, he was the host of this national radio program and decided that, you know, white, straight, Australian male didn't need to be in front of the microphone, preferred to be in the background, uh, giving space for other storytellers and other people to share their stories. So mm. step back from the mic, which is difficult to believe in the ego land of, of radio. And yeah, just made, told really beautiful stories without having his voice featured most of the time. And The Real Tom Banks is one of those stories. Yeah, this podcast was uh, amazing. Well, this, this feature was incredible. Like, we talked earlier a little bit about the fact that you um, have podcasts which feel very overproduced and it's just this like whirl and like cyclone of effects and and stuff like that and you almost feel like you're being forcibly shoved towards a particular emotional state and what I really love about the real Tom Banks is that the fact that the all of the production qualities are used to communicate what language can't uh, in such a deliberate way. It's just like, I mean, the the, the whole story being marked by like those the sounds of d- digital communication and phone and Skype um, and just the fact that they all link back in to Tom's own world and the way that he has yeah. dialogues with people uh, and the fact that they're just constantly present I think builds over time just like a sediment just this sensation that by the end you just feel completely uh, on the other side you feel like you know you've really crossed over between from just being a listener to being like planted in the center of that situation um, to experiencing it yourself I should absolutely. say that um, Tom Banks is I didn't really tell you about the story did I? <laughs> uh, he... <laughs> um, so Tom Banks was 23 at the time that uh, he worked with Jesse on this Um, a kid from a a country area gay and looking for love on the internet is the premise of of the story Um, and then as we listen in uh, we are kind of 
shocked and surprised to find that there's so much more to Tom's story that makes it so much more meaningful. Yes. Yeah. I guess we kind of want to leave it there, huh? If people want to listen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just have to listen. Um, I mean, because I, I guess we can say on, on that is the fact that there is... Um, I was watching a stand-up comedian the other day and I realised that they did that thing where, you know, they're recounting a story um, and then they get to a certain point of the story and then they say something which completely dismantles the image in your head that you've built up and you have this you know I'm, I'm a very visual listener in the and I, I'm sure, I think you know most people are where you do build a very vivid picture of what's going on in your head and then to have the rug pulled from beneath you I think it's just such a potent device and I think there's like such a um, understanding of how the listener is going to go through that experience in order to pull that off effectively mm. and I think maybe it also links into the uh, one of the other Jesse shows that I've listened to as well um, one of his features called Keep Them Guessing as well it seems to also be a play yes. there as well but yeah I mean uh, I also loved in The Real Tom Banks is the fact that um, you know we had the different voices as well coming in to also tell Tom's side of the story because I, I guess you know that's something that could have been done in one of many different ways and there are, there are many different ways in which they do it you know they do it again through the the um kind of internet communication um and the uh, like computerized voice um but also as well just um different human beings coming in to take um tom's perspective and to channel it um and i think that links so beautifully into the you know the projection of different characters which is taking place throughout the story as well i'm trying to uh tiptoe around the edge of saying too much not give it away (laughs) (laughs) which uh, you know feels like when we're talking about s-town actually isn't it freddie but um yes yeah so yeah i i really love this story like I, i guess we can talk more about um others in a bit but yeah freddie what did you make of the real tom banks yeah, I mean, I, I I could echo everything you've just said, Jack, about the 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 use of the use of sound and and voices and uh, the general kind of uh, production uh, in that sense that it really really adds something to the story. But I think in general, like the the thing that the thing that really got me, and again, I've got to be super careful about how I say this, but <laughs> the 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 kind of exposition of tom's story and the, the narrative is just oh, i loved it so much and it just it, it, yeah i i i actually stopped and rewound and rewound sounds really antiquated now we're not a take deck i here, love but. it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um i stopped and, and clicked on my digital slider and moved it right back to the beginning <laughs> of the show and listened again because i was just like i just want to hear this another time to just just to, just because i was kind of like i was doing other stuff as as we've discussed earlier i was most likely cooking and um i just was like i want to hear the moment where it tips yeah and 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 the detail comes in that like you say jack just just kind of undoes everything that you've got in your head about who this person is and what they're about and i love that and i love that and i think again we i I gotta say this in terms that are a little bit of vague but you you guys know what i mean but like i think there are so many ways you could tell this story about this person and their their life and their situation and i i've i've heard this kind of uh, you know stories of of this ilk told in very straight uh very um kind of clinical and 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 pretty like safe ways and i i love that this story uh kind of tackles an issue in this person's life that is um just uh, that little bit more intimate 
And I like that. And I mm. really, really mm. liked that it, it, it went down a route that I think a lot of... Um, a lot of people covering similar kind of topics probably wouldn't go down. Um, and I, I enjoyed that so much. And I love that it, it just got to like a level of detail that, you know, mostly only share with like your best friend, perhaps. And mm. I like that. And I liked that I got let in to Tom's life in a, in, in that sense. And yeah, I just, I, um, and those, those two things to me is what makes this such a brilliant piece of work. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I still remember, I, must, I, I heard this piece, it must have been five years ago now, four years ago, but I still remember where I was when I heard it on the radio. And mm. I remember that visceral feeling of my skin prickling, which only happens in the best radio stories, you know, mm. or any story that you've heard that just absolutely knocks you to the floor. And I think it was, as you've said, so much about, um, I guess, Tom's humanity shining through, but in a really playful way that so many of stories that try to be uh that are good and just and right stories to be told about voices that aren't always heard are told in this really straight way that can almost sometimes become a touch condescending because you're being told the story in a way that you know it's an obligation that you hear it whereas this is just a pleasure to listen to it's just one human to another and i think that was such a hallmark of jesse's storytelling it was playful and it was honest and it was told because it was a great story yeah and also as well jesse's pretty in terms of narration is virtually absent throughout the entire thing as well i mean i saw that you referenced in the notes you talked about non-narration is that I, I meant to look that up, but is that effectively what non-narration is? If, if the presenter is just letting the story do the work, yeah, you just don't appear in the in the story. And I think uh, a lot of a lot of the stories he told, with the exception of um, of the you know he didn't tell many stories about himself. The ones he did, he was a great narrator. But yeah, it's it's this idea of the producer. Uh, stepping back and, and, you know, letting the characters, so to speak, the people, uh, tell their own story without any links or connecting explanation. Yeah, I think that was... Re- that really struck me about halfway through. I just realised, I haven't heard from Jesse in ages, but I think there's such a skill in making a story almost speak in sentences and having, you know, different characters and different sounds pick up from one another and lead into this sort of, this flow that does feel like a language in itself. It does all the describing you need to. It would have almost felt like cheating and I think maybe would have also brought in... I don't know, it didn't need a, the, a, like a presenter ego to sort of tell you how to be feeling or, 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 or where to be focusing your attention. I loved that. That light touch was great. Yeah, and it's, the irony is that, you know, this light touch is, is as a maker, it's so hard to do well. Mm. I think Jesse knew, spent time with Tom for about a year getting everything he needed to tell that story because usually if you're a standard reporter or assuming you'll be able to put your voice in you know that you can add clarifying details for the listener if they say something that doesn't make sense but if you are assuming that your voice won't be appearing at all it means you do need to spend hours and hours with that person to ensure that they get the whole story across themselves it's really tricky to do as much as it sounds like a light touch it's very (laughs) heavy-handed in terms of the background work it's blood sweat and tears wow um i often forget that actually when i'm listening to you know radio programs because i think often they're framed 
as one meeting or because you're listening to it in one solid stretch of time you I think when you're listening I think as someone who's not really in that in radio or at least in that side of radio to just listen here one interaction sometimes you go oh but you know they've just met he's just <laughs> Jesse's just walked through the door they've sat down they've started talking and this guy is just Started very open yeah. yeah exactly but uh, you know, there, there are times that I think, especially when I listen to interviews with people or, or you know, when I'm talking to you now, I realise, holy moly, there was so much build up and an acquaintance and, you know, the accumulation of trust before, I'm sure before even the microphones went on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was really, again, uh, one of the things that Jesse quietly but passionately did in all his work was mm. to to step back and let others tell their stories that was what he did really really well so the other story as well that i've really been enjoying is keep them guessing as i said yeah which you know is about a telepathy act that jesse's grandparents used to perform on the bbc and there's some lovely clips (laughs) from that as well (laughs) um do you remember when you first heard this one belinda like how was that experience when you first heard this one as well I think I remember Jesse telling me a little bit about his grandparents and, you know, them being famous. And you're like, what? <laughs> um, but then, yeah, to hear the story in full, it's a lot of fun. And it, it it's, I mean, again, with Jesse, it's the, you could tell this story straight that you had these grandparents and they were on the BBC. But always with Jesse, there's a kind of like the angle is slightly off kilter. So it's really about the secret of how his grandparents mm. were mind readers and yeah. and this this secret that could almost go with them to the grave of finding out exactly how they did it or did they truly possess, possess these skills um so it's kind of jesse's quest to find this out from from uh, other members in his family and freddie did you manage to get around to listen to this one or? <laughs> yeah yeah, I, I did, it? and I—it's kind of like you know we were talking about kind of non non narrative, and this this is almost the kind of opposite end of the spectrum in a way mm. that I I really got on board with, and I just um, it was one of those things where when the story is about there's a secret and you need to find it out, and you know you don't necessarily get there in its in its entirety, um, you could feel really frustrated, but I just felt so. Um, uh, what's a good word for it? I just I felt really fulfilled, regardless, and I, I loved I loved how I felt that I was getting frustrated that I didn't know <laughs> what the answer to what was happening. <laughs> while jesse was getting frustrated that he couldn't get an answer either and i love that and i like i I don't know when you can there's a there's a skill in that where you can you can make a person feel something come along with you you, yeah yeah yeah, that you you felt too and i i really really enjoyed that um and i think it's a a fantastic story and anyway but i yeah that 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 kind of the way it made me feel i was like okay i i think i'm justified in feeling like this and and um but but the the, you know the way it ended was was lovely and and Mm. and i didn't i didn't necessarily get the answer that we set out to get but i that wasn't an issue and i think there's something lovely about that i think there's a lovely thing where you you set up something and you end up with a more unexpected answer or you know perhaps in 
some, you know, depending on your point of view, not an answer at all, but that's okay. And I think um, to kind of how you handle that as a story really speaks to your your kind of your skill. And I think, um, you know, it, it's clear from that, that that Jesse had an amazing skill with handling that kind of story and uh, telling it and exposing it in a way that it kind of, you know, it took you on that journey, made you feel those things, but still left you with some kind of sense of fulfillment and sense of completion at the end of it. And I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, I think what I love is that he almost uses the means of telling the story as a means uh, like the, the the methods he used to bring that story to you as a means of telling the story as well. I mean, there felt to me to be so many lines, subtle lines of connection that he never really explained. I mean, I, I my my head was absolutely teeming with all of these sort of links that you could make between telepathy and just radio generally. And you know, radio, yes, yeah. and yeah. and memory as well, and um, you know the way that memory can toy with time and experience. But there's never a point where Jesse just turns straight on, you know, like someone looking right down the lens in the film and be like, so this is, you know, how all of this links together, or you could see it like this. And obviously that lends itself so well to magic because you are encouraged to build that experience in your head. Um, and so it just felt like it was channeling all of that. It, and even, you know, the narrative of the story, I mean, as you said there, Freddie, with the ending, like it has this little reveal at the end, which just, you know, even feels like a bit of a magic trick and, and pays tribute to its subject matter as well. Yeah, there seemed to be so much, I think so much love in this uh, story. And the other one as well, but this one, like I really, I, you know, I really felt that. I mean, it sounds like it was kind of rare for Jesse to sort of let you know the microphone into his life like that. Is that true, Belinda? Or he, yeah, absolutely. He told very few stories about himself. The ones he did tell, he won prizes for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, mo- you know, most of his energy was focused on uh, building new shows and podcast platforms and mentoring other storytellers and and voices to be heard but i think um it comes back to this this idea that we've been talking about you know even with the other shows is like trusting the listener and letting them make those connections for themselves um Mm. whether it's just you know a simple essay told by one person or not adding too many sound effects or letting these links um happen these thematic links happen and letting the listener do do that work as well that is part Mm. of the magic of of radio and jesse was really good at well just trusting that the listener would would make those connections and that they didn't need to be spelt out i listened to a tribute that you did to him on this is about um, mm. And it seemed that a lot of the audio that occurs during that first half before the feature pieces seems to he seems to talk a lot about like the listener experience and like building that world for the listener. I mean, what? And also, in fact, I've I read interviews where he talks about like the tone of the piece. I've been trying to sort of build up a, a an idea of like what. Jesse felt were kind of like the the important things to convey with the story. I mean, as someone who obviously worked with him so closely, I mean, what were there like any main particular ideas that Jesse kind of put at the top as to what a story should do or or, or what was like crucial to keep at the center of the experience? I think the real Tom Banks illustrates what he tried to do with stories, which is that there were important stories that needed to be 
cold. But that word that you found in a lot of interviews, tone, was a big one for him. Yeah. He always used that word. It's like, is but is the tone right? <laughs> so he was always trying to nail this idea of, I guess, uh, shifting the frame so that we're listening to something that we don't expect or it's coming from another angle that surprises us and jolts us out of um, what we're conditioned to hear or what we'd expect. He was always thinking about finding a new way of of telling stories that needed to be told. Um, oh, he was such a good storyteller, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss that man's mind. I will always miss it. He was just, yeah, really brilliant. One in a generation. And is there anything in particular that you think that that you've brought into your work from working with him and um, anything like in particular that you could think that you, you picked up on uh, that you're now kind of employing yourself? Well, I mean, I think that we came to work together because we had uh, similar value sounds really earnest, but this idea that it, we don't need to make celebrity podcasts. We can actually continue to tell really important stories by people who don't always get to be heard and do it in these unexpected ways. So the podcast that we worked on together, um, This Is About, was really the culmination of these separate ideas we'd been building coming together because that podcast is very much, um, it's fairly non-narrated. We have a host, but she steps in quite little. Most of the time it, it was our intention to have the person who had happened to telling their own story. Mm. And again, the background to that is many, many hours of constant questioning and, and having them tell the same story again and again <laughs> to, get, to get it just right. But hopefully the end result is that kind of light touch uh, that you spoke about earlier. Mm. So, yeah, it was a real pleasure to work with him because I think we – we had some similar, close enough ideas that made it really interesting to to work together. Fantastic. Well, I mean, this has been wonderful, Belinda. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us about Jesse, and also just letting him, letting us into his world as well, and really like nourishing our appreciation for what Jesse has done in radio. I mean, if people want to listen to more of Jesse's stories. Where's the best place for them to be headed? Well, you could you could Google this is about Jesse Cox, which is the uh, I guess the tribute we made mm. for him and put on the this is about feed, and that will link you to other sources where there's more of co- of an archive of his work that you can check out. But that episode is probably uh, a good start with some of his greatest hits, um, and we go into a bit of his life and his background. So. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to um, have Jesse continue to be celebrated. Oh, absolutely. No, it's been really nice talking about him. Freddie, for Episode Party, where are we on the internet? We are at www.episode.party and at episode underscore party on Twitter. Nicely done. Well, Belinda, thank you once again. Freddie, thank you. And um, we will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great. Thanks, Charles. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Freddie here. If you're enjoying Episode Party, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It means a lot to us and it really helps us out. Thanks. Thanks.